0: Of the Strong for Performance podcast. I'm your host Meredith Bell and today I'm really excited to have with me Dolores Hirschman. Dolores welcome to the show.
1: Thank you Meredith for having me.
0: Well I'm so pleased that you are with us today and I know my listeners are in for a treat. Mm-hmm. Dolores is a certified executive coach So she has walked in your shoes, and she's also an internationally recognized strategist. In addition, she has been a TEDx organizer and has done that a number of times, and we're going to talk more about that whole arena of doing TEDx talks today. She's uh, also a coach to other speakers and coaches. So you're going to be learning so much today about her own experience in addition to what she's now teaching to other people to help them be more effective presenters. So let's get started, Dolores. The first thing I want to do is just have you tell us a little bit about your journey. So,
1: first I'm going to say is, you know, my name is not normal and like it's, it's, it's sounds uh, foreign. I am from Argentina. That's where my accent is from. I think if I talk about my journey, I talk about, you know, moving to the U.S. and starting from scratch. I came here because I met my husband in Buenos Aires and we ended, and he's American. We we decided to start a family here. We have four children and I came to the U.S. as a graduate of business school. And I, early on, I knew I wanted to spend a lot of time in the online world. Actually, my graduating thesis in 1996 was was marketing on the internet, relationship marketing. So I saw the opportunity to really reshape or understand what marketing is, which is nothing else, but a really honest, authentic communication strategy, really like having You know, whether you're talking to one person or thousands of people, whether it's on a podcast or anywhere else, you must show up for who you are and what you have to offer, right? In an authentic way. So that's really my beginning. And I spent time doing online learning early on. I worked for a nonprofit. And then when my babies were born, I decided I wanted to be a full time mom and full time professional, whatever that meant. I didn't want to compromise, I, I'm, I'm not good at compromising in those, in those terms. And so I ended up starting businesses and I started multiple businesses while my children were very young and the, it gave me the flexibility to lead a project as small or as big as my time and my children's needs required. And then it was later on that I decided, okay, so I look at, I think many of us have experienced this. I looked at my resume, or you could see it on LinkedIn, and I'm like, okay, great, what do I do with this? Like, I felt like I was a rainbow, like I had done so many different things that if I wanted to get a full-time corporate job, I was like, I don't even know where to start. Like, I don't even know what is my thing. And at that point, I was lost, and I said, okay, what do I really want to focus on? I had done a lot of consultancy for strategy for businesses, and I, and, I, and I realized that I could talk strategy until people were blue in their face. I couldn't make them do it. And so I needed to understand the human side, the human behavior. That's what I went back to school and did the whole, I worked with CTI, the Coaches Institute, and I became an ICF accredited coach and as i launched my executive coaching practice which i love and i love coaching whether it's executive coaching or life coaching i love the the process of looking at someone and guiding them through putting their life and professional puzzle pieces together right but in doing so i realized how much service entrepreneurs specifically coaches and consultants need guidance on effective communication and effective Business building, and so that's how I transitioned, and here I am, right at Masters in Clarity, where we really guide people to the clarity of message, positioning, and business model that will help them grow as big as they want to grow. And, and 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 where TEDx fits into this is that in in 2015, I had launched my coaching. Uh, business and I was loving it, but there was something missing. And I've done this a few times in my life where I feel there's a void, I feel there's like a hole. Uh, sometimes I feel that whether it's I'm bored or not challenging enough or something, which always my mom says, well, you have four children and a business. I think you're <laughs> challenging enough." And I'm like, no, there's something missing. So I asked myself, what would I do for free all day long? And I think this is something that for the, those, if you're listening to this podcast, you know, have you ever asked yourself right, that, right? And so the answer for me was I would hang out with people with really big ideas. And so that's why I said yes. And the opportunity, you know, synchronicities happened. And yes. the opportunity came for me to lead TEDx here in my community in the, new, in the city of New Bedford. And I said yes. And it's amazing how sometimes we say yes to volunteering or helping someone, and in the process, we receive so much more than we give. Yes. As I said yes to lead to effort, Bedford, I understood, one, the need for people to clarify their message and present them in a cohesive way, that a lot of people were doing great work, but they didn't really have their messaging tight enough for people to engage, right? And I learned that, that need, but I also learned how much I loved solving that need and that I, whether, you know, my eclectic background from digital marketing and communications and coaching, I was equipped to really help people hone in their message in a uh, clarified and communicate in a very succinct way. And so that's how it all kind of came together. <laughs> Did that answer
0: your question? (laughs) Yes, yes, because I think that uh, an important point that you're making there is sometimes you can volunteer for something and really have no idea how it's going to pay off for you later. And this whole TEDx organizer role for you started out as something that you wanted to try, and then it turns out that that was a huge win for you and the people you got to work with so tell us a little bit more about what's involved in being a tedx organizer and what are some of the benefits that you've seen as well as the people you've helped uh, with that
1: so um so yes absolutely tedx was something that i said again i like challenging myself all the time it's just how i'm wired and it was one of those things i said okay I don't know if I can pull this off, but I'm willing to give it my best. Um, what it takes to be a TEDx organizer, really, it's as simple as uh, saying, I want to do that and going on to TED.com and you know, researching the information, you have to fill out an application and say, I want to organize an event in my area. And I mean, there's a process. <laughs> um, it is, it, But it's a process that you have to go through. And I actually did that process in 2012 when I was working with somebody else and we did it. We did the first one together. And then since 2012 and 2015, I loved the format so much. I decided for my own benefit to participate in TEDx event, TED organized events, like the main TED conference. Um, and so by doing that, I not only was allowed to organize my own event, but to organize a very big event. Most people, when you submit an application, you can only organize a very small, under a hundred people event. I have a license to organize an event for 1200 people, which is what I, or more, which is what I did in, in New Bedford. So, and so, and so the second part of your question was, how did that, impact if you want the people that I've worked with so I'll answer in in layers I think the speakers that I was honored to host in my event um, you know there's no big data on impact But there's a lot of anecdotal data. For example, a woman who we hosted, and she's an expert in addiction, and she has a kind of different approach on how to deal with severe, you know, drug addiction. And I know that because of her appearing on our stage, um, she ended up working with some local hospitals here in my community and brought some of her knowledge to serve. We are... um, Massachusetts and the South Coast and this area where I live in, unfortunately, is one of the highest. Um, there's an opioid op- opioid epidemic, so uh, we really have a big problem in um, drug addiction, um, opium drug addiction. So, so that that's one anecdotal, um, you know, story I can tell. Then I know I, another uh, speaker that we hosted on our stage. His talk ended up becoming a book proposal and that book proposal was picked up by a publisher and he ended up ended up having being offered a seven-figure book deal Um, um, another thing we did was we hosted one of our speakers in 2017 she delivered the first talk ever delivered on a ted or tedx stage because then ted did it later but we delivered the first talk that instead of using a PowerPoint or a slideshow like we always do, we used a full stage hologram. So the the speaker was in person on stage, but she used a 3D hologram to illustrate her talk. So instead of a slide deck, she had like, she was talking about a lion in the jungle. She had like a lion jumping on the crowd on this hologram. So it was amazing. like,
0: amazing. That is amazing. Well, what have you noticed when we think about um, folks that are our listening audience? Many times they're getting up in front of a group, whether it's as a speaker or a trainer. And it would be great to have you share some of the things well on two different levels. What are some things you observe? these really effective speakers that get the best response at TEDx, what are they doing? And then we can talk about some of the things that you teach people now. They may, there may be some overlap, but I'd like to hear from your own observation, what do you see some of the most effective speakers do?
1: So the most effective speakers, and yeah, of course, there are overlaps because part of what I teach is what I've studied over the years of what are the best speakers doing, right? Um, but at the core of a good talk, it doesn't matter which stage, at the core of a good talk is the speaker is incredibly clear on the one idea they want to share with the audience. And I can hear your audience right now, your listeners, Meredith, saying, well, that's impossible. I have so many ideas, right? I hear that all the time. Yes, we all have lots of ideas, but we, when we speak, it's like I mean, Meredith, you have children, I have children, you know, when you have children and they're younger, you can't go and give them a lot of directions because they will just they will <laughs> not do anything. Right. You know, make your right. bed, pick up your clothes, uh, put away your shoes and have breakfast, forget it. They're not going to do any of it. But if you, I'm, I'm giving a very simple analogy, but, but if you say to your child, you know, you know, this, they'll get it and they'll likely do it. When you're speaking with an audience, especially an audience that have never met you, that you're a brand new person to them, you have to be really clear of what you are asking from them and what is the gift that you're giving them. And when I talk about gift, I'm talking about whenever we are, like in this podcast right now, I wanna make sure that your listeners leave with one takeaway. If they take, if they walk away with two, great. But my goal is focused on one, and what would it be? For me, it would be that the clarity of their message is key to the unleashing their full potential and growing their business. No clarity of messaging, no growth, period. Because if you can't say out loud what you're here to do and how you're here to serve, how can people come and ask for your services?
0: Yeah, that's an excellent point. And I'm guessing not only are you teaching this to folks, that's what you're seeing with the most effective speakers. And what's the benefit to them in having that kind of clarity of one idea?
1: So so when we, I'll say all of us now, them and us, when we are really clear, of that idea and and we understand that while we have many ideas there is one is that is at, at the core I call it the core idea of your business um, or your talk is that one is that it's at the core then we can grow our business and grow in impact if you want without getting distracted not only it our market or the audiences that we're talking to clear of what we are here to do but also, we can stop the what I call the squirrel moment, right? Like, oh, the market is doing this, I'll go do this, and oh, the market is doing that. Of course, we have to listen to our market, but staying true to the one thing we're here to solve, or, or, or the one thing we're here, how we're here to serve, will allow us to get traction over the years. You and I know, Meredith, that growing a service-based business takes consistent. Cohesive action, consistent and cohesive. If we are consistent, but no cohesive, one day it's like, oh, I'm great at helping people speak. Oh, I'm great at helping people uh, get their next position in leadership development. Oh, I'm, oh I can do that too. Or, then what are you there for? Like, and here's the other thing. When you are clear of what you stand for and what you bring to the market, not only will people be able to hire you, but other people will be able to refer you. Oh, you need oh, you need that, you should go to that person. That's the go-to person for TEDx or for speaking in my case.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is really huge. The ability to state it yourself so that other people are able to state that as well, because that's what's been hammered into their brains. And I think uh, I was reading one of your articles uh, on LinkedIn about this and the organization of the, the talk. And one of the key things was not just being clear on your idea, but making that point about your idea multiple times in the presentation, not assuming people get it the first time.
1: Yeah, so one of the things that has, as a result of all this work and kind of the gift of volunteering for TEDx is that really, I really, the way I think, I'm equally creative as I am analytical, and so I'm always looking for patterns, right? And so in, first, as I became a speaker and then I started helping speakers for my TEDx, uh, before I did this as part of my offerings, um, I started reading books and listening to talks, TEDx and other talks and TED Talks and but others. And I started looking for patterns of what were the most one looking at successful talks by views, but also talks that touch me most. Oh. Like I wanted to feel my own experience, right? And so I created this kind of framework that you're referring to that it's available on LinkedIn or on my website, where I actually grabbed a talk, a public talk that's been out there, and I and I analyze it through my framework. Um, and so I kind of deconstruct, or it's called the anatomy of a talk, and, um, and, I, and I kind of compare the framework with how that speaker did it. And there's a lot of myths about speaking. You know, right now we're talking a lot about storytelling and the importance of sto- storytelling, but the truth is a story, if you think about it, A story is a a tale about you or someone else, but it's just a story not necessarily with the learning of the story taken out of it to, in an explicit way. If you just walk on stage and tell a story and you walk out, the audience will make, probably will be engaged because we all love storytelling. You know, that's how we grow up. Hopefully, you know, having someone tell, read a book, but The moment you walk out of stage, they'll be left with a sense of, oh, that was nice, but what do I do now? So when I talk about speaking, I talk about storytelling is an instrument and a a tool that you use for effectively delivering the gift, which is a core idea that you want the audience to take away
0: mm-hmm and when you do that, that I'm so glad you brought up that whole thing of storytelling because I do think that's critical uh, to talk in terms of concepts or generalities doesn't touch the emotions. so do you have any recommendations about whether the uh, idea gets presented first, followed by the story, or do you start with the story or does and then follow with your point, or is there a recommended? structure or sequence
1: there's definitely a, a structure sequence that i teach again it's my framework um and the way i am happy to share the visual we can share it um later but uh and you can find it on my website you can
0: put it on the show notes page perhaps
1: yeah, absolutely i'll send you that um, but basically um it's beginning with getting the audience's attention I call it, you know, uh, meet the audience where they are, meet them where they are. So mm-hmm. what, how do we do that? We can do it with a story. We can do it with resonant questions. We can do it in many different ways. So again, is never placed on the framework. Story is a tool we choose to fulfill one of the requirements of the framework. So let's say um, that we are, during the first 60 seconds, meet the audience where they are. Yeah. A story told in present tense could be the best appropriate uh, way to do that. In a different uh, context, it could be asking the audience questions might be the, fir- the best way to do it. It's not like story is the answer always. It can be. It's mm-hmm. not always. And then once you connect with the audience and meet them where they are, it's almost like you're holding the hand. Okay. Now they're they're saying, okay, yeah, I'll I'll go, I'll get in your bus, I'll I'll go on a journey with you. Then you say, you talk about what you're gonna talk about, which means present your idea. So what is it that we're gonna hear, we're here to talk? Then once you do that, you introduce yourself. Now, here's a myth. Most people, and I'm sure you've done it because I know I've done it before I knew better, Um, that you go on stage and you say, oh, thank you so much for having me. You tell the organizer, my name is Dolores. And today I want to talk about blah, blah, blah. How many times? I mean, I've done it like quite a few times. Mm -hmm. So whenever you walk on stage and you start talking about who you are, you are immediately disconnecting with the audience. Because you're talking about yourself. Mm -hmm. They don't really care who you are until they care at first they don't the first 60 seconds you need to make the audience feel that you're here to solve their problem or to talk about something that they care about so once you cover that and then you tell them what you're going to talk about then and only then you must talk about yourself now it's not like you should you must why because you now hook them now they're interested in what you're going to talk about now you need to make them feel that they can trust you with that message Mm -hmm. because if i were going to say say you know uh uh who here needs to lose weight um let's say half the room says yes. i believe that losing weight is easy great uh who am i to talk about i i i don't know how to do that like like They're listening and they're excited, right? But then I have no credentials in helping people lose weight. So I just hope to a whole caboose of people that I'm about to disappoint. So so when you talk about yourself, it's not about the whole resume, but it's like, why are you the right messenger for this message? Mm -hmm. And so it's almost a responsibility. Again, I'm gonna use a very simple analogy you're in a, uh, um, you're at Disney or one of the amusement parks and a five-year-old is lost. And you find this child and you probably lean down, meet them where they are, like you, you kneel down to their eye level and you say, are you lost, restaurant question. They say, yes. Okay, I believe that we can find your parents. He's like, or she's like, cool. I'm a mom too, you are safe with me. And we're going to stay right here and we're going to call the police, whatever it is to do. You see, Mm -hmm. it's a very simple analogy. But we're all humans that we just happen to grow up. (laughs) So all of the emotional experience of meeting someone for the first time and trusting them, giving them our trust, I'm not saying it's not evolved from when you were a child, but it's not very different from when we were a child, Mm -hmm. the emotional part. I know I'm talking a
0: lot. (laughs) Go ahead. No, no. I think that's a really important point, though. The timing of when you introduce yourself is critical. And I like what you're drawing them in. So you're engaging them initially. You're getting them curious about what you're going to say and who is this anyway. And so at the right time, then you are revealing. And it sounds like what you're recommending is you reveal that part of you that's relevant to your topic so that they have the context of why you.
1: Exactly. And here's, you know, the way I teach speaking and the way I help people prepare for speaking, again, any stage, I and this is where my coaching skills have have come a long way and have helped me um, really become very effective in this, is that kind of like in coaching that we marry our heart and our head, right? To have a very fulfilled life. I do the same, but for presentations. Is Yes, the intellect, our, our, our brain is fully engaged, but so is our heart. And when we can do that and allow the audience to also do that, then we're going to have a full, fulfilled engagement.
0: Mm-hmm. So which aspects of your framework would you say Focus on the head versus the heart, or or are some of them getting it both at the same time?
1: I kind of all, I mean, all through my framework, I merge it, I, I merge it. Probably when we talk about present the idea, it tends to be more on your on the head. Um, the the hooking them is more on the heart. Mm-hmm. The the talking about you is a combination. Once you do those three steps, the fourth step, which is, I call it the meat and potatoes of your talk, and it's I actually share it as a, as a, as a curve because it is an emotional journey, right? right. Um, and so the, the, the step number four is at the top of the, the, the hill, if you want to know the curve, is when we talk about the data or we teach whatever we're here to teach or we give enough evidence for the audience to say okay this girl this woman knows what she's talking about the idea she's presenting is relevant and now she's showing me the data behind her idea it could be research it could be uh case studies or it could be the teaching that you do and so if you're talking about research or data, and I, I mean, I've talked to, I've worked with lawyers, I've worked with doctors, you know, um, people that are mostly engaging only their brain. And, and I, I remember this lawyer, she's a partner in a very, very big firm in Boston. She said that once she delivered the talk the way we worked it together, she had a line of people wanting to talk to her after her speaking, which is the goal, right? And so the way we, I teach it is that for every piece of data that you're going to share, put a face to it. So, yes, share the relevance of, I don't know, the opium addiction. But then tell me a story of a specific human being and show me how this number is affecting their life. Because the number will touch our heads and we'll say, oh, my God, that's horrible. But the story will touch our hearts. And so when you combine that in the, what I call the meat and potatoes part of your talk, you are, because the audience will remember the stories, might not remember the numbers, but they will remember how the stories made them feel. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's how we combine
0: it. And so then what follows the meat and potatoes?
1: What follows follows the meat and potatoes is not dessert.
0: Not dessert. I was getting, my mouth was watering there thinking about dessert.
1: (laughs) I use metaphors a lot. So actually, uh, funny enough, so when you get to the meat and potatoes at the top of the curve, you're kind of coming down the hill. So basically you remind them of the new idea. I always say that if you were to chart how people are feeling, throughout your talk, and you said it at first, when you introduce your idea, you're gonna get curious. And then when you talk about yourself, they're gonna feel safe. And then when you talk about the meat and potatoes, depending on the topic, they might even feel hopeless. Because if you're really talking about, let's say about the opium addiction, I'm just picking that, it's pretty drastic. Yes. So so you want to take them out of that emotion and then you have to remind them of the new idea, of the idea you are presenting and say, oh wait, but if we were to work with this idea, that hopelessness might turn into hope. Mm -hmm. So you remind them actually the next step is to remind them of the new idea and then present the new reality. Literally verbalize and paint the picture of what is possible, what would the world look like? If this idea that you're talking about is introduced into their lives, into mm-hmm. the audience's lives, like if I, I'm, let's say, I'm talking about this, I'm going to ask your listeners what is possible if every time you speak, you have a line of people wanting to talk to you or a line of people emailing you. I, like you guys, you are listening. Answer that on a piece of paper. Like, what is possible if if everybody wants to talk to me after I speak? What is probably possible is that. You grow in influence, you grow in credibility, and ultimately you grow in dollars, you grow in your business, and you grow in impact, right? That's a new reality. And then at the end, very end, step seven, so what action are you going to invite your audiences to take
0: once, it, once you're done? Right, and what are you seeing with some of the speakers you've observed and you've coached? What are some of their calls to action that have been most effective? Great, great question.
1: So obviously the call to action will be dependent on the context. So if you are speaking to like a lunch and learn where you are not getting paid to speak and you're there to promote your services, a call to action could be, you know, you know, book a consultation with me or here's a free resource or put your name on this list and I'll send you the PowerPoint or some, way that the audience will continue engaging with the speaker. That's one, one idea, a simple idea. Um, in a more broader or in a um, keynote or an event that you've been uh, asked to speak and you're paid or even at TEDx where you can't sell or pitch, the most effective call to actions are very, very simple. And is not unlike the ending of a coaching call. When you're finishing a call with a coachee, you want to have your call to action or wrap up of your call be very specific so that the coachee can actually follow through. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, how many times you, Meredith, or our listeners have entered a call with an inquiry? Like, you know, and I want to leave you with what is possible. I mean, let's say taking the, the example of my topic, what is possible if your talks become engaging and you have a long line? Like, I can leave you with that. Um, or I can leave you with um, go check out mastersinclary.com and look at the framework and apply it and see what happens. So, here's the thing as coaches, we're actually pretty good at that. Um, and the more, the clearer, the more succinct, and the more actionable the call to action is, the more, the higher the chances that the audiences will take that action.
0: Mm. I would think so, that very specific. Do you um, encourage people to get um, the audience to write down something they're making a commitment to do as a result of what they've heard? So it,
1: again, depends on the context. If you're in a workshop style, absolutely, Um, uh, yes. yeah what you don't want so here's one thing that i've had mixed results with um some people have enjoyed it but now it, it used to work more a few years ago but now with so many people on the phones you know it's exciting when a speaker says take out your phone and do blah 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 or send a text to someone chances are once you have your audiences turn on their phones for that little action the chances that they won't let go is really high yes <laughs> and awesome. so it used to work better um and the and the writing that's why the writing down when you say writing down most people will do it on their phones
0: ah okay
1: unless you are in a setting where there is a table and they have, you know they have paper and pen and they are taking notes yeah. like, then go ahead But if there's a high risk that they're going to take their phones,
0: you're going to lose that. Such a great point, Dolores. Such a great point. This
1: is the thing that we have to be aware of that worked two years ago might not work today.
0: Right, right. And I think that whole point kind of summarizes what you're saying is having that focus, know what it is you want to convey and know what it is you want them to do and eliminate anything that could present itself as a distraction, including their phones, including their the phones. End, because you could lose them for the wrap up, whatever your wrap up consists of. And um, and speaking of wrap up, it's hard to believe 30 minutes have already gone by. You've shared some great ideas around what does it take to give a solid presentation that's very engaging, that appeals to both the head and the heart with a wonderful framework? So I know some of my listeners are going to be saying, all right, where can I get more of this information? How can people connect with you and find out more about your services and resources?
1: Absolutely. We're going to do two things. I'm going to send everybody to mastersinclarity.com, you know, there's, the, there's a, a, f- a button that says free resources. There's also a button that says start here. You can book a consultation. You will find some of our blogs when I do this matching of the framework with existing talks. Um, but the other thing I'm going to gift your, your listeners, Meredith, and I'll, I'll send you the link separately. I'll send you um, a, a landing page where they can actually download the framework.
0: Perfect.
1: Um, so they can work with it.
0: Oh, that is great. And then your website will have information about how they could work with you if they're interested in improving their skills as a speaker or preparing for their own uh, TEDx presentation. And what was your website again, Dolores?
1: Masterinclarity.com.
0: Masterinclarity.com. Master, Master. Clarity. Oh, yeah. excellent.
1: And the reason for it is because my clients become masters of their own
0: clarity. Oh, excellent.
1: That's my job.
0: That's great. Well, I love that word clarity because the greater clarity that we have about our own purpose and what we want to accomplish in a given speech or a given engagement with a client, the more we come across as confident and certain in what we're doing. And that to me is a big takeaway from what you've talked about today, that clarity is such a benefit to you and your audience. When you're making any kind of presentation. Absolutely. Well, thank you for joining me today, Dolores. It's been such a pleasure talking with you.
1: Thank you so much, Meredith, for having me.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Strong for Performance podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com to learn how our tools can increase your impact with clients and expand your business. And while you're there, grab our free ebook, The Five Secrets to Getting Better at Anything. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell. Make it a great day.